The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Life podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. Our entitled intern Provolone is manning the production elements of the podcast. Coming up on today's program, we've got a fantastic show in store for you. Mike Vickers with Oilfield Job Shop gives a history of the company, talks a little bit about how technology behind oil and gas is driving the shale boom. Now, this was my first or second article I did back in 2012, and it was titled, This is not an oil boom, it's a technology boom. And we talked about that. Yeah, the oil really is the boom, but it's the technology allowing us to find it, extract it, and produce it that is really driving this boom. So we talk about that with Mike Vickers, amongst other things. Joe Dancy is going to join us a little later in the program as well. He sent us one of our headlines for today. So Provolone, expect a phone call from Joe Dancy, our energy expert and educator down there at Texas A&M, the law overseeing that energy facility, some degrees online. He's got a lot of things in the hopper. So all I know is when it comes to energy education and expertise, Joe Dancy is one of the best. So he's going to join us a little later for headlines. Also, Kathleen Skama, did she leave us a voicemail? Great. Uh, by the way, folks, not only can you email the program, jason at thecrudelife.com, they come right to me, but you can leave me a voicemail too. It happens all the time. Uh, they, they drop them uh, by an email or maybe by phone. In fact, Provolone, you see this thing right here I'm holding in my hand? This is a hand held computer okay that i can use to communicate with other people via text via voicemail via cell phone call via pictogram facebook tweeterbot all kind do you know how many ways that i can get ignored through this handheld computer a lot there's a lot of ways that i can communicate with people like kathleen skama did from the western energy alliance folks do you know what she did? She took out a full page ad. Full page ad in the New York Times. New York City. Get a rope. I apologize. 80s flashback there. Anyway, uh, Kathleen Scava took out a full page ad in the New York Times. And what she did, this is fantastic. I, uh, this is one of the things that we've been talking about here at The Crude Life to where we got to get that voice back. We got to take control of what is being said out there because let's face it the energy industry is getting schooled by a 16 year old girl all the hundred dollar oil money on madison avenue is getting schooled by a 16 year old girl when the united nations has a climate change conference where one of the top topics if not the top topic is oil and gas impact on climate change and not one scientist, not one leader gets press out of that. No, it's a 16-year-old girl 
who got the top bill at a scientific conference. So, like I said, Kathleen Scama, congratulations. This is great. You took out a full-page ad in the New York Times. Granted, it is somewhat political, and it gets into the realms, and it gets into... But the bigger picture here, what she's doing is trying to say, listen, without energy, the lights go dark. The smartphones go silent. She uses Senator Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, and Elizabeth Warren in the ad to get attention. But then at the end, she gets into some actual good stuff. Medicine, groceries at the grocery store. And guess what? It is signed by 54 executives from the Western Oil and Gas Association. That uh, letter, by the way, is available at thecrudelife.com if you'd like to click on it, along with other links, including the ad and other things. But uh, Kathleen did leave us a, a voicemail. Is that right? Okay, great. Provolone, play the voicemail, please. This is Kathleen Skama from Western Energy Alliance. Senator Bernie Sanders calls us criminal. Vice President Joe Biden says he'll put us in jail. Senator Elizabeth Warren calls us corrupt. But I and the 53 other executives in the oil and natural gas industry who signed Western Energy Alliance's open letter published in the New York Times know it would be criminal not to produce the energy that sustains the healthy, safe, and modern lifestyle that Americans and those in developed countries enjoy. As we produce and export more American energy, we can help lift out of poverty the billion people worldwide who still don't have access to electricity. Our energy puts food on the table, medicines in the medicine cabinet, and gets people to work and school to better their lives. We're helping to spread those life-sustaining benefits around the globe while supporting 10.5 million jobs in America, all while providing the most effective solution to date for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, that is, increased natural gas electricity generation. Once again, that letter and Kathleen's comments are available at thecrudelife.com. That is thecrudelife.com. Okay, what else do we have on tap today? I do want to mention our sponsor today, Titan Solutions. One of the fine companies out there making sure our lights work when we flick on the switch because here at The Crude Life, we are very grateful for our sponsors because they allow us to keep our lights on so we can in turn educate, inform, and even entertain the masses out there about how those light switches keep turned on. And guess what? It is by companies like Titan Solutions out there doing the work. Now, Heath Holloway recognized a serious void in the oil field industry that he could fulfill. With the help of his qualified team of individuals, Heath Holloway began the long journey of servicing oil field companies in the DJ Basin. Since then, Titan Solutions has expanded their customers and customer base into new shale plays. Titan Solution has proven through the years they provide exceptional products with the best-in-class service. Today, Titan Solutions secures careers of over 120 of their people with plans to expand into additional regions. For more information, visit their website, www.titansolutions.org. That's www.titansolutions.org. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, 
the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Well, you're my surfboard, baby, let me be your boogie man. Well, you're my surfboard, baby, let me be your boogie man. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Some have called me the North Dakota Nomad, according to this email. Some have called me the Shale Play Prophet, according to this email. Others have called me other words, which I'm not going to say on this podcast, even though we can say whatever we want on a podcast, apparently, according to my entitled intern, Provolone which sometimes we get into disagreements about that, but Provolone is in charge of the podcast, even though I am the host of the show and the owner of the company. Provolone, he's in charge of the podcast because that's his generation. For us, it's radio programs, but whatever. Hey, I'm with it. I'm hip. I'm cool. No, I'm not. Okay, well, just by saying that, I guess I'm not, so whatever. Anyway, let's get to headlines here. Joe Dancy is going to join us, by the way. Joe Dancy is with Texas A&M University, and he's going to join us about the Chevron Appalachia layoffs that happened. And Joe Dancy, keep an eye on the phone line. If you would, it's that second one that beeps sometimes that you ignore. That's somebody calling in. So keep keep that in mind, Provolone. So I'm going to go to the second headline first and probably the third one second and then we'll bring in joe dancy on the tail and by the way folks headlines it's our way of keeping current with the news and we like to do the headlines like the average person out there which is read the headline the first paragraph maybe the second paragraph make our judgments our assessments and move on with life because that is the way the average person is ingesting the news hopefully what we'll do is we'll tease you enough to actually go do the research yourself. But at the same time, you might learn a little bit too because we fall off the cart often and we get on our soapbox often. Let me tell you that. So, oh, one thing I did forget. Thank you for reminding me, Provolone. Our featured event today happens March 23rd through the 24th, the Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association 74th Annual Convention happening in Dallas. That is the Texas Independent Producers Royalty Owners and Association 74th Annual Annual Conventioning happening March 23rd through the 24th. For more information, the links are available at the Crude Life's show page, the Crude Life podcast show page. All right, our first headline comes to us from theleadernews.com. Boy, that's something else. Theleadernews.com. Oh, that is a legitimate newspaper. Okay. TheLeaderNews.com, and it says, Harvard students get hands-on with oil and gas. Fantastic. Okay. Amazement shine in the eyes of one fifth grader who was taking a closer look at microorganisms on the other side of the room. Another laughed as she operated a robotic arm. The two students plus dozens of others in their grade were able to receive a unique STEM experience on Monday at Harvard Elementary School. The students got to spend an hour and a half with a mobile oil field learning unit, a hands-on exhibit containing six stations that taught kids about energy, technology, scientific methods used in oil and gas industry. 
I think this is a fantastic story. This is a fantastic use of the money. Hands-on is the way to do it. Listen, folks, there are three ways that we learn as humans. Some even say that we evolve by our behavior, not by growing wings, not by growing claws. We would have done that over the last 250,000 plus years. No, humans evolve by our behavior, okay? The way that humans learn, audio, visual, kinesthetic. Kinesthetic means a hands-on type of approach, real-life experience. My son went to a Montessori program for a number of years, and what they do to count to 10, not only do you learn to count to 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, they've got a, a string of beads with 10 beads, so you feel it, you see it, you touch it and say it. One, two, three, you get the picture. This is one of those examples. When I saw the headline, I thought it was Harvard uh, University, which I thought that was fantastic. But getting elementary kids exposed to the safety, the technological relevancy is the way to go. It's the way to go. And good job. Who's doing this, by the way? The mobile what is it? The Mobile Oil Field Learning Unit. That is, that's awesome. Who's doing this? It's, um, okay, hang on, folks, reading the story here. See, I'm going beyond two paragraphs. Texas Oil and Gas Association. Well, no kidding there. Okay. The mobile unit stops part of a 50-school tour across Texas, sponsored by the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Well, we should, Provolone, we should get them on to talk about this. A 10-week tour across the state. Fan, you know, this is, like I say, fantastic because it gives that audio, visual, kid aesthetic, a hands-on approach, gets the kids used to it so it's not this doom and gloom stuff. They can look at it from a microscopic, molecular level. That's awesome. All right, next headline. Let's take a look. Amy Klobuchar was one of us in the South Carolina debate. I don't even want to read anymore because I wasn't Amy Klobuchar. Were you Amy Klobuchar? Do you even know who Amy Klobuchar is? Amy Klobuchar was all of us in the South Carolina debate. Wait a minute. So that Australian Aborigine was Amy Klobuchar too in the South Carolina debate? Man, she is every, she's going to be one of people's most hundred influential people in the world. If you do the math on that, oh, ho, ho, ho. if you're one of the most hundred influential people in the world, I mean, what is there, more than six people on the planet? I mean, that, do those numbers. If you miss Tuesday night, by the way, this comes from CNN Politics. If you miss Tuesday nights, by the way, sidebar here, not that I've sidebarred enough, CNN, all the news you need to know, right? So CNN will go after Fox News for being fair and balanced, yet CNN has the slogan, all the news you need to know at one point. And CNN, you come out with a headline that says, Amy Klobuchar was all of us in the South Carolina debate? Okay. I don't care if it's an analysis or not. That's a terrible analysis. I didn't even know that the South Carolina debate was happening. Yet, apparently, I was Amy Klobuchar. If you missed Tuesday night's South Carolina presidential debate, I can sum it up in just two words, loud noises. For extended periods of time during the two-hour debate, candidates sought to talk over one another, land opposition research, hits, and create zingers that could then be used to raise money for campaigns rapidly running out of it. 
Well, that's pretty much the way it goes. I mean, if you're if you can get in the presidential debate and make the top seven or the final eight or whatever they have, you can have a, a speaking career for the next two years, getting any, you know, getting six figures for a speech. So that's why they do it. A lot of them become presidential candidates for the speaking career afterwards. Uh, Amy Klobuchar has written a book before. Uh, my son has interviewed Amy Klobuchar. I have on a number of times too. I've met her many times and I still wasn't one of her. She wasn't one of me or whatever it was. I, I don't relate to her at all. And she's from my neck of the woods. In fact, she's pretty down to earth, actually. The Republican delegation in North Dakota does stuff with her all the time. They co-sponsor. She understands energy. But at the same time, she's also a card-carrying Democrat. So there's that. Well, we don't like to get into politics here on the show, but this was the headline. And basically, I wanted to just say that Amy Klobuchar was not all of us in the South Carolina debate. So CNN, stop telling me how to feel and formulating my thoughts for me and just report the news. That's what you're supposed to do, right? All the news you need to know or whatever your slogan of the week is. All right, let's get to our next headline here. And I see that phone line going. You see how I abruptly ended that last one because I wanted to get to Joe Dancy as I saw that. I saw that light flash before you, Provolone. It's not a knock on you. It's just a notice by me. I tend to keep my eyes open and my ears open all the time, even when I'm talking. And Lord knows I talk a lot. Do we got Joe Dancy ready? Okay, let me just read this headline here real quick before we bring in Joe Dancy. He can wait 30 seconds. Amid lower natural gas prices, Chevron Appalachia to begin layoffs at Moon Headquarters. Chevron Appalachia informed Pennsylvania it will begin layoffs at its regional headquarters in Moon. The layoffs beginning April 6th and continuing through the end of the year will affect 288 employees, according to a WARN notice filed with the State Department of Labor and Industry. With that, let's bring in Joe Dancy. This is Joe Dancy with Texas A&M Law School, their online program. Thank you for joining the headline portion of the Crude Life podcast today. Also, we'll podcast this and post it as a separate interview. But today, uh, Joe Dancy, he's our energy expert and educator. We're talking about amid lower gas prices, natural gas prices, Chevron Appalachia to begin layoffs at Moon Headquarters is the headline we're talking about today. But Joe Dancy, he emailed me this morning and, and reminded me that this is a topic that we talked about last fall. This is a topic I talked about last summer. And this is another one of those reasons why I do get an email from time to time calling me the shale play prophet. So anytime I can, you know, have a fun nickname, I got to I got to have some fun in the world again. So we've not had fun in the energy industry for a little while. And it's looking like uh, there's going to be some tough times again coming up. Uh, Joe, talk to me about what you are seeing in the tea leaves and what we've been talking about with this layoff issue with the Appalachia uh, Chevron deal here. Well, Jason, uh, we, yeah, we think we talked last October or November, and you mentioned during the interview that, and I hadn't thought about it, we were just talking about oil prices and gas prices and oversupply of gas, and you mentioned, gee, after the first of the year, you think there's going to be a lot of uh, downsizing in the industry, and I, I hadn't crossed my mind, of course, being a professor, I really don't, you know, I'm teaching the legal and the economic and the technology end of things, so I really don't think about that and you have much better contact with the industry 
in the industry people and actually being in North Dakota also with the energy industry than I have here in Dallas. Dallas is pretty diversified and thinking about it though and when looking at it, it's you were exactly right. After the first of the year, things of all my you know, I have quite a few friends who are title attorneys. Title attorneys for those of you who are not familiar, you know, before you drill an oil and gas well, you need to go out and figure out who owns the, the property. I have a, quite a few friends that are landmen. Landmen, you know, get out make the deals they get the leasing they do the curative and all of them you know, started telling me in december it's like joe you know the drillings disappeared the con you know every the interest has disappeared and of course my my comment to them as well wait till after the first of the year because people will you know feel better you'll get better capital expenditures approved by the board of directors and they'll drill a few more wells and um don't worry too much of course it's easy for me to say you know sitting in my university chair and not having to worry about the uh, the overhead and and uh clients and collections and drilling activity and uh, essentially the um you were exactly right the drilling you know drilling right now is down 25 percent from a year ago in the united states and i don't know how north dakota is going but i know oklahoma has fallen from gee, a little more than a year ago they were drilling 150 wells were drilling and now there's like 50 and Texas has dropped off significantly, too. We're still number one. North Dakota is still hanging in there. I think you have quite a few rigs running, but not, you know, nothing like Texas. It's, it's, uh, and I'm sure it's fallen off because, I mean, when you look, I mean, you mentioned in the opening statement, um, natural gas prices now are, I think, I, I think I saw this on the Energy Information Administration website. Uh, I think uh, gas prices, natural gas prices are at like 10-year lows. And it's, I was telling my students, you know, when you're running a lot of this natural gas, or at least historically, has been used for electrical generation. And when your fuel costs go from you know two dollars and fifty cents a thousand cubic feet to a dollar eighty if you're buying on the spot market, I go. That means electricity. These electricity companies are you are you your your profit. Your electricity costs are not going up, and your ability to generate and make a profit if you get cheap fuel that's the biggest thing that goes through a generating plant is the fuel and so uh it's real positive unfortunately you know god we have all this flaring in texas and flaring in north dakota and it's creating some real industry issues in fact it is interesting the last week i was at professor coleman at smu one of my colleagues did a talk on flaring at the uh, was at the below mansion to the dallas bar association energy group there was it was standing room only i've never seen that in 20 years of going to these meetings we have never had standing room only people were like just they were um you know what do we do when prices of natural gas are you know a dollar 75 and we don't have the pipelines and he goes you know he was talking about and you're probably familiar with this in north dakota too you know negative natural gas prices at the wellhead and it's why is it negative it's like well there's no market for it and there's no pipeline so that you actually have to pay these guys you know to take your gas which i think is pretty interesting um, which creates all sorts of issues, but one of those is like you let off here. Is, you know, if you have if you have such low returns on oil and natural gas, you know, do you need to drill this many wells? And you you take twenty five percent of the wells or two hundred to three hundred wells. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of frack crews. That's a lot of landmen. That's a lot of title attorneys. And you run that through the economy, and it is it is brutal. And it's. Uh, it's difficult for me because I know my students and my ex-students who have been out there for a while and God, I've been teaching 
oil and gas law now for 35 years, it's, you know, they're contacting me. It's like, well, Professor Dancy, do you know any openings? And it's like, well, unfortunately, if you're a landman or title attorney, I really, things are really slowed down. And it's, you can't, you can't generate title work if there's those wells being drilled. And I, and you can't blame these companies because, I mean, you do, you know, you have an obligation to your investors whether they're shareholders or whether they're, they're private individuals or whether they're endowments, um, you know, to get a return. And so when you get a dollar eighty uh, gas, and and actually, Jason, I think um, oil prices in the futures market just broke below fifty dollars, which you know a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago was like fifty eight. Which when you're getting fifty eight dollars a barrel, that's just about you can you can be a viable entity for most companies now with the shale cost, et cetera. But when you get down below 50, it's brutal. And I mean, I told my students yesterday, you know, what you're going to see if this virus and if the demand continues to impact, you know, globally, the demand for oil, if you get oil prices below $50 a barrel for any length of time, it's going to devastate North Dakota. It's going to devastate Texas. Of course, they're most interested in Texas and devastate Oklahoma. And, and Oklahoma is a very energy centric state. Texas is a little bit more diversified. And the good news in Texas, we have a bunch of refineries. You know, one thing North Dakota does not have and one thing they should have. I know you guys are looking to build a new refinery, which I think is, a, in my opinion, is a great idea because it essentially would utilize a lot of that natural gas and a lot of your assets there. And and uh, and actually be much more stable when you have oil low oil prices. You your refinery still operates, which keeps the economy spinning out there in western um, western North Dakota. But uh, but it's brutal, and I don't know what. To, and I know in Houston a month ago, they there was other uh, there was announcements also with regard to a number of larger companies uh, shutting down. And in Oklahoma City and Elk City, I think uh, the Halliburton shut down and laid off 500 people. And I mean, you don't you don't. If you're not fracking and drilling wells, you know why do you need why do you need uh, service companies uh, to to log and to frack and to analyze? And so it's uh, it's it, but you and I have been we're old enough to know it's a cyclical business. I mean, my concern is going forward. Why would you look to the energy sector to you know for employment other than you know if you just really needed a job? And uh, you know, to me, I got in it because I loved it. I love mining. I love resource extraction i think you're adding to global prosperity prosperity of these small towns a lot of these if you like rural areas and i love rural areas you can you know live in you know western north dakota and and have a good living and you know essentially enjoy the outdoors but um but with the current price cycle for almost everything natural gas oil um prices coal prices over the last decade or you know, it's tough to allocate capital to these businesses when, you know, you can you can invest in uh, Tesla, which, you know, is not profitable. But, the, you know, the stock has done, I mean, I think it's done relatively well or some other, you know, solar energy companies or the like. So it's sort of interesting. It's interesting to see. And it's uh, and, but but I will say, you know, you brought this up last October and November that the slowdown and I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. And, so you know, here's, the, here, here's, here's how my mind works. And, um, I do believe that the energy industry is in some serious crossroads. And that's one of the reasons why the crude life has stepped up and decided to be a little more vocal. Cause in the past we were a little bit more of a, a content creation and just industry news, that type of thing. But now we're getting a little bit more advisory and active because 
we've been lambasted and a lot of people have scoffed at us for the past three, four years. Well, where we're at now today, a lot of people are now using our interviews from three, four years ago to try to figure things out because, yes, I did mention this last October and November, and I kept saying it because of these reasons. When you have Halliburton's layoffs, Whiting's layoffs, I think Chevron had some layoffs, Anadarko had some layoffs. I mean, just those four companies off the top of my head was 1,200, 1,400 workers. So you start doing the math on that and do the reverse ripple. How many of those guys stopped at the convenience store every day and got a couple breakfast sandwiches and Red Bulls, okay? Because that's gone now. How many of those guys that got laid off are using their severance check? How many of those guys are dipping into their 401k? How many of those, how many of those guys and girls, sorry, guys being the old, <laughs> oh, boy, I showed my age there. Why don't I just go, I should just go tape something instead of record it, right? Go tape it. Um, anyway, that's, that's, that shows your age too, but... The workers out there, think about it. They're going to use their severance. They're going to dip into their 401ks. There's, there's a system set up to bridge them financially for anywhere from six months to two months, to some cases a year. Well, when those start running out, and this summer, a lot of that will run out, okay? That's going to be an issue. A lot of these men and women that are used to making $80,000 a year are now making thirty dollars to $40,000 a year. Those do not even get recorded at all in any statistic that I'm aware of. And those are real problems. When a household is used to making $100,000 a year and now they're making $40,000 a year, you have new stress like you've never imagined before because you have numbed yourself into just going through the motions to make life work, okay? That's what's going on in the industry right now. And you mentioned um, the, the meeting with the protests. I'm sorry, the, the meeting with the flaring and every To me, that's, that's the industry. This has been an issue for five years. And now they show up to a meeting to react to what's already going on. I mean, guys, this has been going on for a while. And the reason we don't have pipelines in place is because every time you try to put a pipeline in or a refinery, you got to go through one to three years of litigation now. That's the new normal, is that you got to go through one to three years of litigation before you can get that that pipeline and infrastructure in place. And that is because of this rise against fossil fuels with the environmental movement. So there's a lot of different, uh, I call them arrows of issue being shot at the energy industry right now. And I just, you know, threw a couple out there. But when you think about it, there always is a silver lining in all of this. There always is because back when energy was at 40 bucks, what was that about? Five years ago, 14, 15, something like that in 2014, 15, when the downturn came. Or 15 and yep. 16, I think it was. Um, back then, a lot of the industry uh, uh, leaders who were getting paid and a lot of elected officials who were getting paid kept spouting positivity. Hey, we're, we're remaining positive through this downturn and everything else. Well, that doesn't help the other, pro the, the other people who have real problems because they're not getting paid. Like you said earlier, the rig counts are down, and what does that do to the service companies and everything else? So there are some real issues going on. However, in my little microcosm of North Dakota, back when um, it was 40 bucks a barrel, we were still drilling a million barrels a day. So there is still some business out there. You just gotta figure out how to make a better steak sandwich than the other guy. And sometimes that takes education. 
And a lot of jobs available in North Dakota right now are related to the energy industry. They are not in the energy industry, but they're related to the energy industry that has to do with IT and artificial intelligence and all kinds of different things. So you have to go back to school. Like what you are offering with your services, Mr. Joe Dancy, which is, you know, come and get educated, get masters and get all kinds of things. I, I could see where Texas really is going to be a big winner in the education world. And I, I, I know this because I've been very active with North Dakota State and the University of North Dakota. You know how involved the in, uh, industry is with the educational facilities in North Dakota. You've seen it firsthand. I mean, our library is up at UND across on the east side of the state where we don't have an oil well, but our entire Harold Ham Laird library is there. And, and so I could see where Texas gets all kinds of people to get re-educated because the Permian is going to be 70% of the oil and gas activity for the next 20 years. That's, that's what all the experts have said for the last 10 years. And, that, and 10 years ago, they were saying 30 years, but so now we just say we're like 20 years, but 70% of the oil and gas activity out of the United States is projected to come out of the Permian. So I could see where Texas, I mean, Joe, you could get an influx of people down at uh, A&M there that really could get re-educated because right now we are in a phase of energy where we have to reinvent and reimagine energy. All right. Now I just spoke for 10 minutes after you spoke for 10 minutes. I'll hand the baton off to you. <laughs> well, thanks, Jason. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. As you know, that, and we've been around long enough. I mean, technology continues to evolve. I mean, who would have, people weren't, when we, everybody first went up to the Balkan, people were just amazed. It's like, geez, the shale, that's not going to work. And of course, you know, you mentioned Her Harold Ham went up there and he made it work. And some of the other companies that, uh, and originally, I mean, originally it was difficult, but they, you know, they figured it out. And I, it's interesting you mentioned, um, I had, um, had a, a lunch with a good old friend. He's like 68 years old. He's a petroleum engineer, Columbia University mining engineering degree also. And he's go, he was going down to Houston for the week. And he was, he told me he's going down. I go, what are you going to Houston for? And he goes, I'm taking a seminar on big data. Cause he goes, Joe, what's happening is, you really don't need petroleum engineers anymore, and you really don't need, you know, even geologists or landmen. He goes, if you have access to big data and understand everything, and of course, I have, as a lawyer, I really don't understand all the details, but he was telling me how when you get all the data that they get when they drill a well now, really you can almost drill and design a well by computer. You don't need a petroleum or drilling engineer to design it if you have the data and you just use historical anomalies i guess is what they're using i, I didn't again i i probably misdescribing what big data is but i do know no you're exactly right online. no you're exactly right online, and there are classes that in their engineering classes for you know get you know come for a week and of course they're they're not cheap jason it's like geez you know you're paying you know four thousand dollars to go down to houston for a week to learn about computer science essentially he goes that's exactly right he goes because he goes i'm because he's pretty much half retired now and he goes but i realized if i'm going to be relevant in this industry i need to re-educate myself on big data and he goes i still hope and he's still a consultant with a number of folks and actually helps me in my classes he comes in and lectures a couple times um every semester on two potential either in the business school or at the law school and he comes in and talks about you know guys as a 
you know, if you're going to go work in the industry, here's some basic uh, technology that you need to know about. And it is interesting because, I mean, Lord knows that, you know, we've gone from, and this guy's a, we were, he, I was speaking with him or he was speaking at some of my programs back in the, in the 90s and actually early 2000s about horizontal drilling. And everybody at the time was like, he'd come in and do a presentation in horizontal drilling and everybody's like, well, God, that's pretty, that's like, you know, sending a, a spaceship to Mars. And, you know, sure enough, you know, um, uh, Mitchell Energy and uh, Harold Hamm and everybody else figured out horizontal drilling in the, in the 2000s and uh, and uh, the early 2000s and, you know, five or five or 10 years after he was talking about it. And, and that's where we went. And uh, now the problem is going forward is unlike the previous, um, God, the last 10 years, it's been a frenzy. And I show my students, I go up until about 2005, I mean, the Barnett Shale uh, here in Dallas and, and actually in Fort Worth, I mean, it was it was a drilling frenzy back in in the uh, you know 2005 to 2010, and because of the technology, and now there isn't a you know there might be one rig out there because natural gas prices though the gas is still there. I tell the students, I go, I know exactly where the gas is because they have all these old logs from the wells that were drilled out there. So you drill you know 7,200 feet down, then you drill horizontally for 5,000 feet, and I could tell you the water temperature is about 197 degrees fahrenheit and they're all looking at me i could tell you the natural gas you know the quality is like just over a thousand btu for you know it's like when i look at it tell them, how do i know that well i know that because it's a it's a just like the Balkan you it's a consistent reservoir but the technology has gotten so much better so i can drill the well probably in a third of the time and and uh unfortunately the price of natural gas 10 years ago was much higher. I mean, it's at least double than uh, what it is, which is hard to believe, Jason. I mean, think about that. I mean, you're getting, you know, you're, you're, we come much more efficient, but the prices come down so much. And probably, I guess that's the law of supply and demand. My economist professor buddies tell me it's like, Joe, we're in an age of, and this is something else to think about. We're in an age of oversupply now versus when you and I grew up and when we had, you know, Dr. Hubbard in uh, the shortage, and we're going to be short oil, we're going to be short coal, we're going to be short everything. And so uh, it was the age of scarcity. And so you, you develop this technology, and now everybody thinks we're in an age of abundance. And uh, we are to a certain extent, but I would, I think it's gone overboard that viewpoint, you know, versus the other viewpoint that we're in we're shortage. We're, we're not going to have enough natural gas. We're not going to have enough oil. But I don't this get this. I, I've, I've never understood the argument that there's not a market for the natural gas because there is a market. My understanding yep. is Mexico is salivating and just waiting for what we're waiting on is the pipes is, is the infrastructure. Right. And the infrastructure, the reason we're waiting on them is because of the environmentalists is my understanding is that because of the litigation that it takes to put in a pipeline, and because now the banking industry is even being affected by the rise of climate change and environmentalists, the myth of all that, that they're now making energy companies get certified as ESG, environmental governing um, social. It's uh, ESMP. What is it? It's uh, Meridian Energy just got. There's, there's two acronyms are relatively new, but it has to do with being an environmental steward, a, a, right. a government uh, uh coexister and a social, you know, type of a person, social uh, community person. And everything that, in my opinion, that the energy industry has been. Now, I get it. 
petrochemicals are not environmentally friendly. I get it. But at the same time, they're using their resources to make the area better than when they came, so to speak. So um, it's like, to me, it's no different when you go burn a campfire. Guess what? That is one of the worst things you can do for the environment. In fact, huh. Ca California was thinking about outlawing them two years ago. Okay. So go, all you hippies, if you want to go out and kumbaya around the campfire, you're actually causing more, more pollution than driving. So there you go, buddy. Um, get, sorry, but sorry. I just had to uh, get out. I wanted to get back to a comment you made about education because I used to joke to a lot of people in technology that, uh, and, it, and it became true that, you know, you're actually going into a major that's not going to be around in four years, or you're actually going into a major to put yourself out of business. And that's what big data really is, is it's, it's these people have spent 10 years putting data into a big centralized computer that they've essentially put themselves out of a job. But that doesn't mean that there's not other jobs. They just, you know, it shifts and ebbs and flows and you got to reinvent yourself because right now the industry is being re reinvented. Let's not forget John Gibson from One Oak, Harold Hamm from uh, uh, Continental Resources, James Volker from Whiting, and some other CEOs were on this very program talking about the paradigm shift in oil and gas, okay? Now, those guys, the reason I say their names is not to name drop, it's to say when your CEO and chairman of your board is going on media and saying there's a paradigm shift, you should probably listen because these guys are not chucking jivers. These guys cannot go out and say things that are not true or they're gonna get sued by the shareholders, they're gonna get sued by some attorney, or they're gonna get sued by some competition watching them. So when they're coming out and saying there's a paradigm shift, think about it. What you said is true. Most of these energy companies know exactly where the oil is. In North Dakota, it's all a price play. It's all a price play. When the dollar hits a certain amount, they can go put a rig in XYZ. How far is it from the core? The stuff in the core, they can drill from 30 to 40 bucks, but that's going away. So they need to get it to the 60 to $80 range to make it actually viable again. Texas, the same way. You guys started recording. I mean, in the Bakken, they did it since, since the 50s. They started recording the data. And, and when you start recording the data of all the core samples, that's how you put together the knowledge that you were talking about earlier about the temperature, you know exactly where everything is. And that's big data, again, layering in everything. So at the tip of your fingertips, you can get it in a snap. So think about that. That's happening on the drilling side. That's happening on the human resources side for crying out loud. Just doing a background check now. Imagine what that was like 30 years ago trying to figure out if your roustabout has got a felony or not in Alaska, okay? <laughs> Good luck. That'll take six months to get that information today. Snap of a snap of a finger. So big data's changed that. I have said for over three years now, the energy industry needs to reinvent itself in PR. And I still believe that today. I still see the industry reacting. The new green deal is winning against the shale new deal at nape they introduced the shale new deal which i thought was not a very good idea because it validated the green new deal that's all you did was you validated it and the amount of money that was spent on pr over the last 10 years 
on Madison Avenue and all the top level people, this and that and everything, and you're getting beat by a 16-year-old girl running around the running around the globe talking about climate change? Come on, we can do better than that. We can do much better than that. At least I think I could. I mean, I I I think there's that's when the industry needs to kind of be shaken up a little bit and understand this is a paradigm shift. So we are going to need new majors. You mentioned petroleum engineers. That never even crossed my mind. You're right. The whole engineering world is changing because it's computerized. Every time one of those drones goes up and gets all the information it needs via LIDAR and whatever technology they got nowadays, it gets into big data. And all of a sudden now going forward, you got that information. That's why things are changing so much. And it's exciting, but it's scary. I don't know. Your comment, Joe Dancy. (laughs) Yeah, and you need the uh, education to keep up with just drones, drones regulation. That's the interesting deal. Actually, and you know, we've talked about this, Scott, for the last two years. I've had a bunch of drone projects where we went out to West Texas, et cetera. And one of the issues, Jason, that you have is, you know, it, it, a drone generates all sorts of data, depending on what type of sensors you have. Thermal sensors, you have visual, you can check for methane, you can check for... And the question is, as a company or a consultant, I mean, is that, you know, what data do you keep? How do you digitize it? I mean, they talking to the... And I've talked, I've worked with a number of the regulatory agencies. In fact, I spoke at a drone conference for the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission with about uh, six other speakers from... You know, different. The rest of them, all the attendees were like 35 different producing states, and we had six other speakers. They were all working for agencies, and as a state agency, you know, generally one of the problems you have is you know, you are limited as to the amount of data that you can keep. Because I mean, you have just gobs and gobs of data, and you don't just use one drone. You have a drone in each district, so you capture all this data, and it's like, well, what do you keep? What do you get rid of? How long do you keep it? Do you use it for regulatory proceedings? You know, and if it's in a regulatory proceeding, how do you verify that, you know, the methane that you indicate it's, you know, illegally being vented or, or being vented legally but should be reduced or whatever the issues are? You know, how do you quantify that based on the machine? Uh, and, you know, these are sort of legal. They're also technical questions because and a lot of the regu- regulators said, you know, we really, at least at this point, I did not talk to the North Dakota regulators, so I'm not going to get you in hot water for saying this, but a lot of the regulators that I talked to said that, yeah, Joe, we generally do not, we will not fly a drone over an operation without the operator's permission, telling them that we're flying it over, we want your permission, here's what we're going to measure. And if the operator says no, they go, we, you know, we'll generally go back. And if there's an issue, we'll go in you know, the old way. We'll get a, we'll send them a letter and show up in a pickup truck with our handheld uh, deal. Because you know, 99% of the time, you know, the operator says, sure, we'll be happy to, you know, let you fly over and take this data. And you know, with the ops, with the observation that gee, if you find anything, please let us know because we will immediately correct it. We don't. Because a lot of these operators, as you know, a lot of the operators, they want to cooperate. They want to do what's right, and they want to comply with regulations. And even if it's not regulations, if you have excess methane emissions, and the state regulators point that out, it's like, well, gee, you know, this stuff is valuable. It's capturable, and it's also a huge greenhouse gas emission issue. And so, um, you know, this, is, this, this works, and it's all, again, part of the education process, part of the evolving technology process, and it's pretty exciting, but who would, you know, who would have dreamed, and I, I'm even, like I say, talking to this petroleum engineer who's been 
again, he's 68, he's been around for, for ages, uh, says, you know, petroleum engineers, he goes, pretty much are, are you really don't, will not need them anymore because of the data, and, and or at least you'll need much fewer because, because when, when he worked in Ohio, actually, Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, for some of the natural gas plays, uh, got about seven or eight years ago, and then uh, came back and has been working uh, with the Permian Basin, and he said, you know, they used to come to me and want me to help design, you know, the drilling and production profiles or whatever the petroleum engineers do and figure out reserves. And he goes, now, you you know, you might have need, you might have had three or four petroleum engineers. It was a major company he worked for. And he goes, now you just, you might need one. And it's, they'll be, they're more of a data scientist. And, and, uh, and you present all that stuff to management. And again, it, it all goes also to the finance folks, which you pointed out, you know, when you have um, a number of folks, um, essentially trying to restrict investment in the sector, whether they're banks, whether they're investors, whether they're endowments. Um, I, and I will, let me share this with you. At the Fleuring Seminar, one of the people there um, was raising money for, and this is their fourth, um, this is their fourth um, program that they put together. They've never had a program before uh, that has not filled. And they got, they got like seven investors and it's a, it's a relatively low risk type of oil and gas development play. And one of the, um, investors in the late, latest deal pulled out and it was a university endowment. And he said, what happened is the university endowment agreed to invest based on the earlier parameters, et cetera. And when it came up, it was a public meeting where they announced that they were looking at investing in this, I won't say the company, but so-and-so, you know, production company, uh, he goes, a bunch of protesters showed up and it's never happened before. And the endowment board said, we're not going to invest. And so they pulled their, so he goes, now we have one open slot in uh, program number four because a bunch of people showed up. And of course it's a public university. And I won't say it's a university that if I told you the name, you would recognize it. Uh, it's a very large university, very well respected. But, you know, they decided that the heat of investing, even though the return is it's a low risk, uh, really, really good return um, because it's fossil fuels. Um, and the interesting thing is I said, well, hell, maybe you ought to put you know, a couple solar panels out there on your production equipment and call it a solar facility. And, you know, the endowment would would uh, you might have those issues. And of course, that's, that was a joke, but it really is not a joke because there's an incredible amount of capital misallocation going on because See, of the that, villainization of the the carbon industry. So, that's where I would have pointed my finger. I would have interrupted the meeting and said, "That man's using his melon right there." Let's let's go with that idea because <laughs> because that, that that's what would have sold. <laughs> it's just kind of all right. Let's let's flesh that idea out over there where we can call ourselves that because that seems to be what people like, but. Right. Uh, anyway, I had to I'd jump in because looking at the clock, we've got to get run into our, our next interview and next appointment here. And I got to get the kids to school and all that different stuff like that. And um, we'll, we'll be talking down the road here quickly. But thank you for joining us today. I wanted to make sure we talked about that layoff talk and some other things. And um, give yourself a quick plug how people can get in touch with you, find you, hire you for conferences and all kinds of different things. Yeah, if they're interested, just get just drop me a line. I, I'm in, I speak on a whole bunch of energy topics, and I'm at Texas A&M Law School. And uh, you, you just Google me or get on LinkedIn, you'll find me. And if you're interested in your online energy program, it's a master's in law. You don't need to be a lawyer. You just have, need to have an undergraduate degree in something. And it's an online program, so you can do it. You can 
take this program in Bismarck, North Dakota and probably pass at the front of the class. And you probably would because you'd understand a lot about energy from working in the industry up there. So thanks. Thanks, Jason. Have a good day up there. Thank you, Mr. Joe Dancy. We appreciate you coming on to do some headlines with us here today on the Crude Life Podcast. Provolone, please post that uh, in its entirety, isolated. So if you'd like to listen to just the Joe Dancy portion of what we just did here on the Crude Life, that'll be isolated in its entirety. Otherwise, of course, you can check out the entire program because coming up next, Mike Vickers with oilfieldjobshop.com, and he gives a brief history of the company. But then we dive into the technology behind the oil and gas industry and how it really has been driving the shale boom some good talk, and then we're going to talk about the big cruise shift, veterans and seasoned employees, you know, they're adapting to the technologies or not. So there's a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a technology thing going on. Mike Vickers coming up. Mike McMahon on the bookend of the show, the latter part of the show with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. We got an update from him as well. All that, and I do want to mention our sponsor, Titan Solutions. They allow us to keep our lights on, and therefore, when we turn those lights on, they work because of the hard-working men and women like Titan Solutions. Titan Solutions offers services that include safety, containment, surface rental equipment, custom trailer solutions, plus much, much more. Check out Titan Solutions with their website, titansolutions.org. That's titansolutions.org. seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. Coming up next, we're going to get into our featured interview today with Mike Vickers with oilfieldjobshop.com. Have him a, let's get a mic level check to start it off. Hey, I'm Mike Vickers. I'm from Oilfield Job Shop, and I'm here to talk to you regarding our platform. Mike Vickers, oilfieldjobshop.com. Let's start off with maybe a little history of the company. Yeah, so back in 2016, I was working pretty in-depth with the oil and gas sector here in Alberta, and there was a lot of uncertainty in the air. At that point, I heard layoffs were coming and really thought that I should be looking for a backup job. At that time, I found that there wasn't a whole lot out there, or if there was, it was really spread across multiple websites and just took a whole lot of time trying to figure out where to find the job leads, who I should be talking to, where to even look. At that point, one and two clicked together and said, there's something here that I could possibly create 
helped thousands of people throughout the industry in North America. And that's where Oilfield Job Shop came to be and just kind of grew from that idea into what it is today. First story I did, I believe it was a first story, might have been second story, but we'll just say first story for brevity's sake as I continue to speak, but uh, was that the energy industry, this new shale boom, if you would, is going through a technology boom, not necessarily an oil boom, but a technology boom, meaning that it was really the technology that was driving all the business behind this. Uh, Just kind of your thoughts on that. For sure. As it keeps progressing as well, technology is just the forefront of this industry. As most companies are looking for ways to more cost-efficient and ways to save money on the bottom line here, there terms of technology. What technology can do nowadays for oil and gas companies is incredible. We've always been in kind of a, an old way in the oil and gas sector, and now as we introduce new technology, it's only going to boom from this, I believe, resulting in a big boom for the technology sector itself. 70% of the industry is supposed to be retired by 2022-ish, right around that time, and obviously that means that there's some seasoned veterans in the industry. Technology is one of those things that requires people to change what type of experience did you go through with either, you know, your day-to-day life or, or this secondary oil field job shop as you were building that up on the side? Uh, just that technology bridge that you saw coming through the industry, is it, uh, is it catching on? Is there still some resistance happening? You know, the old dog, new tricks thing is where I'm coming from. No, for sure. Like, as it keeps progressing, we're seeing, like you said, 2020, we're going to see a lot more people getting out of the industry, retiring, so to say. A lot more of the younger generation is coming into the industry, which is great for us as well. A lot of huge people that are big in technology, they have a background growing up within the technology sector. So as we become more pushed towards a technology-driven oil and gas sector, we're going to see a huge incline of people, younger generations coming in that are already caught up to a lot of standards. It's going to be pretty big, I believe. What are some things about uh, Oilfield Job Shop that you want people to walk away from the interview knowing? Pretty much the, we're here to help people and help guide them to, to proper job leads to their area. Uh, the big ones that are a complete company hiring, different positions that can relate to those guys. We're building this platform. We just scaled a new website. It's out there now. We're looking to build it up to something even bigger. We want people to put trust within us to really help push them to the next big job leads for their area. Social media is now huge in looking for jobs nowadays. You look at Facebook and they just added a new job platform on there as well. It just There's just a huge new correlation to jobs and online sector. So we're trying to establish a really great trusted system here where people can come to us and really look for their next job. Any final thoughts? Anything we left out? Anything you want to reiterate? Anything that you want to make sure that uh, people understand when it comes to either yourself, the company, the website, or maybe you've got a good chili recipe? I don't know. (laughs) Cooking is something I've grown to love, that's for sure. Being shift work 10 and 10 now, it's a huge passion that came to the side. In terms of the website, like I very in Canada I'm optimistic of where the industry is going so a solid website that is related to local jobs is very much needed in Canada Texas is booming right now I can see foreseeable future and just inclining so there's always going to need a 
be a need for a mask on the gas job website there, and that's something that we want to make sure that we get covered. I think local job shop is going to grow hugely over the next 12 to 24 months. We're seeing new employers jump on daily. We're getting our posts out there. It's going everywhere. It's working for a lot of companies, and we see a huge growth potential here for not only us but for the industry in general. We can really help people get these jobs that they need and just get them back to work or get them to grow within the next job they need. So the more people we can help, the better we'll all be in the end. Kind of end question, I guess, sidebar here. Final, final, final question. Um, update from Canada. How are things up there? I mean, I, I only see the headlines. I haven't physically been up there to see everything. But, you know, I, it depends on which source I read and which blog and which paper and which news source. So I usually try to ask people if they know how business is going up there, if there's any hot spots. Because, you know, even in America, I mean, it's... um. It depends on the price point and depends on the geography and it depends on the companies and there's a lot of different variables that go into different shale plays. So. For sure. Like in Canada right now, the conventional side of the industry here is hurting. It has been winter. It's picking up a little bit, of course, because drilling season has occurred. But it's it's slowed down a lot over the years. Since 2016, I've seen just a decline, a decline, a decline on the conventional side. I was in the oil sands, different kind of industry up here, but that's a, a huge influx of tax dollars and just whole industry generation within the oil sands. That's something that continues to keep pushing ahead. New projects are pushing ahead. Our biggest restrictions are pipelines and the ways to get our oil and gas to market. So basically, we have to figure that out first and foremost. I think if we can get pipelines into the ground, more expansions on our existing pipelines, and if we can get our product to international markets, then Canada could be a huge boom but it's just a matter of making that happen at this point. There's a lot of uncertainty at this point. I was going to ask you about the pipelines, and you brought that up about how they're needed, but the problem is getting them in the ground, and then you mentioned the word uncertainty. Um, can I ask you, do, you, do they know what the uncertainty is? Is it the price? Is it the environmentalists? Is it um, you know the, the, the market? That the, I, I, As far as I know, that, that it seems like the market's out there for it. For sure, like oil we have in the ground here and the amount of oil sand product that we can produce like it, it's huge it, it's very vast we're one of the biggest countries in the world that can handle these kind of things but getting it out is our problem so i mean the market is there for it the uncertainty basically comes from the environmentalists and the people behind that that are putting a stop on this i think canada is kind of divided completely against this industry right now there's a lot of uncertainty streaming from this Canada, the whole, pretty much is trying to push this through federally, but then provincially, we're looking at being landlocked in Alberta, Alberta being the pretty much oil and gas sector and capital of Canada. We have BC next to us that is just pushing hard to make sure this pipeline doesn't go to the coast, and I think that is one of the biggest restrictions that we currently hold. If we can get past that and they can kind of jump on board with Alberta and create a solution, it will only make Canada really push ahead for just generations to come. If we went east, it could be huge for us, but we have the eastern province, it's the same thing. They're landlocking us here as well. It's just, I think, the provincial divide within Canada right now is putting the huge restrictions on this pipeline. All right, one last time. What's that website? That's going to be Oilfield Job Shop. Be sure to check that out. It's going to only grow. More jobs coming daily, and it's going to be your spot for your next job or job lead. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. 
And here's to the sound of one hand clapping And here's to not letting this moment pass Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever the model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Well, it's time to put the booze down. Find us some solid ground. Clean this damn life up. And turn it all around. We got lost in the smoking. And that's going to do it for today's The Crude Life Podcast. I'd like to thank Mike Vickers from oilfieldjobshop.com for coming on today's program. Mike McMahon is coming up in just a few minutes to end the program with an update with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems. Also like to thank Joe Dancy from Texas A&M over there at the online law department. He's involved with energy. He's our energy educator and expert. Also Kathleen Skama from the Western Energy Alliance. Great work promoting the oil and gas message out there, taking a full page ad and also joining the program via audio message. We appreciate that very much. Folks, if you would like to communicate with the show or get on the show or be a part of the show, email me, jason at thecrudelife.com. And shoot me an audio. You can call the program as well. 701-318-4946. 701-318-4946 if you'd like to be a part of the program. Feel free to leave a voicemail or if somebody answers, you can talk to us then. And if you would like to be a sponsor of the program, oh, we'll put you to the front of the line. Let me tell you what. We love companies like Titan Solutions. Not only do we love them because they're a sponsor of ours, but in reality, the sponsors do keep these lights on. They keep this platform going. They keep all the activity that we have here at The Crude Life going. So we are very grateful for Titan Solutions. Just like everybody out there when they turn their light switch on should be very thankful for all the men and women out there working out in the oil field, making sure that their energy works, that their cars drive. It is companies like Titan Solutions. Heath Holloway recognized the serious void in the oil field that he could fulfill. With the help of a qualified team of individuals, Heath began a long journey of servicing oil field companies in the DJ Basin. Started out as a small supplier of LED light plants, grew into something more. In fact, it grew into a number of different things, containment, custom trailers, surface rental equipment, safety. Heath Holloway listened to his customers what they needed and put together a business model that made sense for the oil field today. Titan Solutions, a company that has proven even through devastating economic downturns, if you provide exceptional products with best-in-class service, you will be triumphant. Today, Titan Solutions secures careers for over 120 people with plans of expansion into additional regions. For more information, visit titansolutions.org. That's titansolutions.org. Also would like to thank the email that came in to let us know about the Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association 74th Annual Convention happening in Dallas. 
March 23rd through the 24th. We have the links available at the crudelife.com show page, the Crude Life's podcast show page. See how I just kind of mix them up? That's the type of stuff I did not want to edit. That's the type of stuff I need to learn. I need to learn that it's the Crude Life podcast, not the crudelife.com show page. The average person has absolutely no idea, nor do they care. I do, though, Provolone. I do. So I would appreciate it if you wouldn't look at me like that. Actually, you know what? Keep looking at me like that. How else am I going to learn? See that? I just turned a butt chewing into my butt chewing. I just, it, it was like a mirror. You're like rubber and I'm glue on that one. Okay. What else do we have going on? I'd like to thank, who else? Moody River Band, our Crude Life music crossover. If you have a band that you would like featured here on the Crude Life podcast, feel free to email us. We showcase their music. And if you'd like to download their music or buy it, go to the Moody River Band's website. All the links are available at the Crude Life podcast show page at the Crude Life podcast show page. Also, our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching. Thank you very much for being a sponsor. Bach and Barbecue for being our phone line sponsor. Of course, the Crude Life podcast can be heard every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Excellent work today, Provolone. That's going to do it for today's program. Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems going to conclude the program and then a couple songs from the Moody River Band for you. That's going to do it for me, folks, from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. Like they did in the good old days Because we're back to the way The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mike McMahon from Eco Vapor Recovery Systems, talking about emission management flaring, and innovation in the oil field. In just a second, part of our exclusive interview with Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. You know, it, I think it's pretty, been pretty well publicized that over the last year and a half or so, you know, the regulatory uh, environment for uh, uh, air emissions and oil and gas has, has been uh, increased significantly. And so, you know, there are uh, lower thresholds, you know, for permits and, and tighter regulations. So I could go into a ton of detail of all different moving parts of that. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry is coming under a lot more scrutiny. <clears throat> and uh, although, e- even though, you know, for example, in Texas, most flaring is just an open, you know, an open flame type of flare. In Colorado, there's, uh, you don't see very much of that. It's typically an enclosed combustor, <clears throat> but still inside those enclosed combustors, even though a flame is invisible, there's still, you know, burning of the uh, vapors and the destruction, you know, of that gas. The regulations on combusting of, of vapor in Colorado, you know, continue to tighten. And uh, so, again, we're having more and more, you know, conversations with, with operators about, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, our, our solution. Uh, we just had a startup with an operator about two weeks ago uh, where we're capturing all of their tank vapor and, uh, and the, the operator is, is capturing additional liquids production and selling that stream. <clears throat> In addition, the state of Colorado has, has increased their focus on the vapors that are generated when, it, when a tanker truck is, is loaded with oil. Uh, so on, a, uh, on an upstream site, 
you know, in a lot of cases, the uh, gas, excuse me, the oil that is uh, held in the tank battery is pumped into a tanker truck for uh, transport to market. <clears throat> when those empty trucks show up, there is uh, obviously, you know, a, a vapor mixture inside that empty truck, which is a combination of maybe 50% air and 50% hydrocarbons. Uh, the state of Colorado has increased their uh, regulatory scrutiny of those uh, truck vapor streams. And so in this uh, startup that we did a couple of weeks ago with, with an operator uh, in the DJ, we actually are uh, capturing the vapors that come off of that uh, tanker truck as it's loaded. To listen to the full-length interview with Mike McMahon with Eco Vapor Recovery Systems or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our daily podcast at thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery.
Life every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Well, I was tears old when John Lennon died. Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye. Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul, I say. And then there'll be only Ringo to play Well, Gandhi says an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind And I was two years old when John Lennon died I was born near a harvest moon And I wasn't too late and I wasn't too soon And I was born on the first day of my life And I was two years old when John Lennon died I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied You know we do what we do so we can survive And I was two years old when John Lennon died 